is a two-point game. Five seconds to go. Curry behind the back. Takes it from half court. Good if it goes. Banked it in! Of course he did! This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Welcome back to the Warriors podcast. I'm Tim Roy. Glad to have you with us for another edition, talking NBA, talking Warriors hoops, and talking whatever we want to talk about. That's what we do here on the Warriors podcast. But we are talking NBA round ball today. Anthony Slater of The Athletic will join me in just a minute. A veteran NBA scribe. You know him for his coverage of the Warriors. But uh, certainly before that in Oklahoma City and other places, able to get a handle on what's going on. Uh, with the round ball on the hardwood. So the Warriors are wrapping up a homestand as we tape this and then heading on the road. Well, they'll start the road trip in Philadelphia, end it in Toronto, and it's a a good test. It's a good test. We're heading into the middle of the season. That's part of the discussion with Anthony Slater, what stories to look for here now. We're past the quarter pole. Uh, The season's going by very quickly, and the Warriors continue to play well. You know, they had that home-and-home series with Phoenix, took a lot out of them. They did not have any juice for San Antonio, but you know when you play a great Popovich coach team, you have to be ready. They're well-disciplined. They're well-coached. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes, and certainly the Warriors paid that price. But here we are heading toward mid-December. The Warriors already with 20 wins. It's a tremendous start uh, for the season. They wrap up the homestand with a game against Portland, and Portland's been decimated by injuries at this point with both Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum on the sideline. But let's get to our conversation today. Anthony Slater of The Athletic talking a little round ball, talking a little Warriors. Well, Anthony, let's first talk a little bit about the the season for the Warriors. It's been uh, remarkable so far what they've been able to accomplish. You know, I have to be honest, in in preseason, I thought they had a pretty good vibe around them. I thought they'd be pretty good. I didn't understand they were going to be this good. And this quickly, uh, what part of this has surprised you, if anything at all? Uh, The defense, you know, I remember coming into the season, I think I wrote an article preseason, like how can they possibly, you know, keep a top 10 defense with the personnel shifts that they made? Because, I mean, surface level, you thought Bazemore, Oubre, uh, who were on the way out, were kind of these long, disruptive defenders. And they were fifth in the NBA in defense a season ago. And they replaced them with like Porter and Bielitsa and guys who, you know, slower footed. Um, but maybe I, I guess I didn't, you know, fully comprehend the that, you know, we talk about like the high IQ and the, the smarts on offense. Well, that can translate to defense. That's reading a scouting report. That's knowing your rotations at the proper time. And then obviously a very invigorated Draymond Green. And then I just think it, uh, an energy around the team, which I think fuels into the defense. And they're sitting there with a 99.8 defensive rating. I mean, that is um, – that's the best since I think the 2015-16 Spurs. So that part of it, which also includes rebounding, which I think Steve Kerr mentions a lot, which is, you know, they're a top 10 rebounding team after being like 28th last year. So that uh, – you know, when we look at this 20-4 and four start, that's probably what, what surprised me most. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, not only are they playing – defense at a very high level but it's 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 like significantly better than than the next team it's like three or something points better than the next team on their defensive rating uh it's really it's really kind of crazy the 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 guys that have surprised me a little bit defensively 
have been like Porter and Bielitsa. They're not elite defenders, but but they're out there and they're not making you know too many you know boneheaded you know mistakes that you would see other players in the past make. And I think that that means to me that they're at least paying attention to what's going on and, and what they're trying to do. Yeah, you have that. Uh, you have you know they're starting Jordan Poole and Steph Curry, which you know outside looking in would seem like a, a dangerous uh, you know starting backcourt to to have in in the modern nba small right i mean it's kind of two smaller guards but steph obviously you know he's a he's a key part i'd say he's become an above average point guard defender uh and then pool i think held his own you know because every time pool makes a mistake draymond green is in his face or one of the coaches is yelling at him um so i think he's just minimizing his mistakes because he's minimizing the amount of times he wants to be yelled at but uh it's it's worked really well and you know you mentioned how many points difference they are than the next best team. The Lakers were tops in the league last year with a 106 defensive rating and the Warriors are at, you know, 99. I mean, so, so some of it, maybe is the league dragging down. I do think there's less offense league wide in a good way this season. Um, but they are, you know, far and away, like I said, but probably the best defense in the last half decade. Now, have you noticed, you mentioned Draymond, but have you noticed that it, is Steph coaching more from the sideline when he's off the floor now or, or am I, just noticing that more. Yeah, I you know I think it's more of the uh, quieter comments uh, once the heat of the moment has kind of settled down, right? Draymond is like you you committed a foul he didn't like. I'm barking at you in front of the world as you know right after the whistle. Whereas you know two minutes later, Steph Curry kind of is wandering over to you like, hey, can I make a point real quick? But I do think he's doing more of that. He even. I remember there was one early in the season he did with James Wiseman. And, you know, as we know, Wiseman at the time he was talking to him is at least a month, two months away from even returning. But he's making small, subtle points to Wiseman knowing it'll help down the road. And I do think that's kind of Steph's approach. Um, You know, and I think he's learned it in the last couple of years because he's gone from in the middle of the dynasty. He's, you know, he's the star point guard. But, you know, you have the David West, the Livingstons, the Iguodala's in the locker room. The last couple of years, particularly with Iguodala gone, it was really him. I mean, he was kind of like uh, the the guy that had to do it, and I think that has helped him so much, uh, you know, leading into this season. At the time we're taping this, and unfortunately, my my yard guys have shown up. So if you hear something in the background, that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> all right, or I could say the Warriors are blowing away the yeah. competition, but uh, you but you know uh, the. I, I'm really interested to see how, you know, the whole Klay uh, Thompson, James Wiseman coming back, you know, fall, goes into play here because I think it, this great star has kind of taken the whatever pressure there would have been internally off of anyone because of the fact that, that they're off to this unbelievable start. Yeah, you know, Klay Thompson to me is a pretty simple plug-and-play guy. Um, you know, you put him in. He, you know, he's an off-ball shooter. I mean, he has the historic game where it's 60 points on, a, and he only took 11 dribbles. It's not going to be that every game, but I mean, it's it generally shows that um, in a modern NBA where stars kind of, you know, they're they're very heliocentric, and uh, you know, let's say you put Kyrie Irving back on the Brooklyn Nets right now, he needs a lot of touches. I think there's more of an integration time needed. Um, I think with Clay Thompson, you just kind of put him in, and he's gonna going to guard well and he's going to off ball shoot and if he's if he's really feeling good maybe he'll do some more on the ball type stuff but he doesn't necessarily need to so I don't worry as much about him breaking the Warriors rhythm um Wiseman is a little bit tougher you know he's a younger player with 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 more warts and more need for developmental time and uh, he doesn't necessarily play the Warriors read and react style the Warriors have created the small ball identity he's kind of different from that so um, the Wiseman return, I'm curious how that is handled more than 
with Clay, I mean, not only that, it's, you know, we're talking December, January, February right now. I mean, Tim, you know, that is such a time in the NBA of like, it, you know, it's, it's the dog days. It's it's a time where it's tough to get up for game after game. You inject just the life that Clay Thompson's going to give, I think, to the season. I think that's very helpful to the Warriors. Well, while you were speaking, my yard guy knocked on the door. He wants to know, you know, in the, in the Western Conference with the injuries to Denver, and I, I think that's going to kind of knock him out of contention. Uh, it's just too hard to overcome, but – um, you know who are other than Phoenix? We know how good they are and what who they are. But but you know is Utah a legit? You know title contender. Who who do you see in the West as as being possible thorns for Golden State? Your yard guy sounds like a Nuggets fan, man. You start you know going off on the Nuggets, you got mad. Um, <laughs> you know the West is down, right? It just feels you know particularly particularly that meat of the West. Um, you know, who's the fourth best team right now? It's, it's something I'm kind of trying to figure out. I think it's like I still believe in the Lakers the most. And, you know, we're talking about fourth best team. To me, it's clearly obviously right now Warriors, Phoenix up top. And, if you know, Utah's right in that mix under them. Uh, you know, and they're getting hot. Their net rating's really good. Um, but I guess it's the Lakers. You know, they've gone. They've committed now more to only one center. They were trying the DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard mix early in the season. We all know it should mostly be Anthony Davis at center. You could even play LeBron at center. Um, particularly with Russell Westbrook out there, where he, anyway, I do. I think the Lakers have some type of run in them. I think they're very flawed. I don't love their roster, but they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So that is to me the fourth of the most dangerous teams in the West. Beyond that, unless you can guarantee me Kawhi Leonard's coming back, I don't believe in the Clippers. I don't like what I've seen from Dallas. Portland is descending very quickly. You mentioned the Denver situation. Um, I mean, it's just to me what felt like a deep West and what has obviously been a very deep West in the last decade or even more than a decade to me, it's just down as it's been. And, and I just, I really only see four teams. And right now, one of those four, the Lakers needs to prove that they're actually part of the four teams before they can be realistically included. Yeah. The pendulum looks like it swung that the East now is balanced and maybe even a little bit deeper than, than the West. I want to get your thoughts on Portland because we see them this week, and and you know now they've got two injuries to deal with with Lillard and McCollum, and we hope that you know both those guys are okay and get back on the floor soon because the NBA is better when they're both playing. But uh, to me, it seems like Portland would be the ideal team to get into some kind of talks for Ben Simmons because I think it would kind of fit you know what both teams need at, at this point, and and. You know, Philly needs a landing spot for Ben Simmons. I think they, if the Trailblazers are going to make a run with Damian Lillard, they've got to get, you know, better defensively and bigger uh, right away. Uh, just seems to me that would be kind of logical. Yeah, I think the problem there is I think Daryl Morey aims higher than C.J. McCollum, really. Uh, and, and, you know, there are reports that when Portland offered the idea of C.J. McCollum, it was also like, three first-rounders, three pick swaps, give me Simons, give me Nasir Little, like, you know, Daryl wants it all, um, where I actually really think Philly, if if, if they're going to get in a conversation with Portland, at least in the immediate, is going to be more asking about Lillard and, and wanting to pair Lillard with, uh, you, you know, Embiid and, and the idea that maybe it's time for a Portland blow-up. And I could actually hear the argument for a Portland blow-up. You, you fired your coach after, you know, a nine-year run. The GM has recently been fired. Uh, the vibes around the team are not good. Lillard has clearly flirted with wanting to leave um, over the last, you know, year or so. And, um, you know, the, the city is not too into the team. I just I, I just don't like necessarily the vibes around the team. So if you hit the 
the the blow up button. I could see that being a match of uh, you know Lillard for for Simmons and a bunch of of uh, I guess uh, rebuild pieces. But if you know if Portland could swing it somehow and 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 basically flip McCollum for for Simmons, you know maybe send a, a draft pick or two in Simons. I like that as a fit for them. I wouldn't necessarily hop them into contender status with that, um, but I just I don't think Daryl Morey will take it. What do you think about the 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 published uh, stories coming out of Indiana that they're going to look to restructure their ball club and and you know if and if they do they do have some real interesting pieces on that squad. Yeah, it feels like they've been like you know rumored to be splitting up that Miles Turner Demonis Sabonis uh, front court for a while now and never pulled the trigger. I mean, I feel like Miles Turner's been in trade rumors for two and a half seasons in this state in Indiana. Um, maybe they're ready. You know, I think they give Carlisle a little time, you know, the new coach um, to, to see if that fit works. They haven't been very good. I believe 10 and 16 right now. Um, and they have some young guys, Duarte, that I know they're trying to kind of clear the lane to, uh, for more time. So I could see them trading one of the centers. And, and I agree with you, depending on which style of center you want, because they're very different. Miles Turner is the stretch five who blocks shots um Sabonis is is more of the ground bound like skilled uh center who you post up he passes the ball well you maybe run your offense through a little bit so probably depends on which one you want is which uh team you are out there but they're intriguing TJ Warren if he ever gets back from injury is a scoring wing and then Karis Lavert is another name that's been flown out there he's kind of like a bigger guard who can who in his past can really score he, he's struggled this season um, but I agree with you. To me, if they really commit to selling, and they have been so hesitant to actually commit to that in the past, they're they're a market and an ownership group that is fine just being like a seven A seed and, and competing. But if they commit to it, yeah, I think a lot of teams around the league, maybe even including the Warriors, might want to look at what type of of pieces they can maybe get on a bargain from them. Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to get to before. Um... We wrap up here. One of them was just getting your thoughts. What what stories are you looking at? What you know, teams, players, situations are you keeping an eye on to see how it all develops? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, look, Sixers in the Simmons situation uh, is not exactly you know a surprising answer, but um, you know, as they you know Embiid gets back in the fold, he had a great night the other night. He had like forty seven points. As they try to kind of rise up the standings. Do they make the move before the deadline? I mean, that is the, that's the situation everyone's watching. Would Daryl Morey really not trade Ben Simmons before the deadline and risk, uh, you know, basically, you know, kind of say wasting a year of Embiid's prime? I think that move probably gets made. So, so that's kind of one blinking spot across the league. Um, Brooklyn, I mean, we, we kind of consider Brooklyn a, a contender entering the season. James Harden, I, that's probably one of the players on my – can James Harden rediscover his form? Because if James Harden – gets back to the guy we saw even in Brooklyn last year, forget like prime Rockets. Like when he was playing at his best last season, they looked almost unbeatable in the East. Of course he hurts the hamstring in the playoffs. You know, Durant goes down with a valiant fight against Milwaukee, but if Harden gets in shape and looks great, you know, I think Brooklyn suddenly vaults back into that very inner circle of title contenders. Um, and you know, there are ones in the West too. Uh, I, Luka Doncic, another player, to me, he's been disappointing early this season. Um, you know, there's there's kind of chatter about, uh, you know, his weight a little bit. And if he can get that down, I thought Dallas had a chance just because of who Luka is to be more of a part of the conversation. And they're one of those West teams, as I mentioned, that's uh, down this season that I could see maybe getting up there. 
You know, it's interesting. The you mentioned uh, Luka Doncic. Yeah, I thought Dallas was going to be right up there, but they're off to a little bit of a slow start, uh, trying to figure out a new coaching staff as well. You know, we've had a lot of turnover in the in the coaches this year, which I think is adding to some of the you know uncertainty and maybe teams that are close to five hundred. But you know, uh, but it's just it's it's just been sort of a unsettled year. You know, you've had franchises like Portland's had an internal investigation. They've been, Phoenix had an article come out about their uh, organization. It hasn't affected their play at all, but but it just seems like it's kind of unsettled this year in the association. You, you know what else? I mean, and nobody loves hearing this, but COVID's kind of, you know, rearing back. And, you know, you have a Bulls team that has been one of the great stories of the season. Well, suddenly they have five guys in health and safety protocols, including right now DeMar DeRozan, who's like a fringe MVP candidate. He's been so good early yeah, this season. Char- Charlotte, Charlotte as well, yeah. Yep. Yep, Charlotte was a great early season. LaMelo Ball, you know, like that's um, upending teams right now. And, you know, you mentioned the unsettled nature. Well, if if that's going to continue into the winter, uh, which, I mean, numbers would suggest it probably is, uh, that's just going to completely, you know, r- rattle the league again. I mean, as it already is starting to. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's a weird unsettled time, especially because me and you are around a team that feels so settled, right? I mean, not only are they – playing so well but they're about to get more reinforced yeah yeah it's, it's, it's that, that that's where i want to finish on and that's it's uh i keep telling people my joke is i've run out of words to describe steph curry and i i just really it's it's amazing what he's doing at, at, at the you know point of his career and it, it's almost like he's better than what he was before i mean it, it seems weird doesn't it yeah and i think he is really um and I think it's a combination of things. I mean, he's just he, – he takes the summers so seriously, the off season so seriously, uh, works so hard. And, you know, I think – and this goes for the whole organization. But I think as as painful as the last couple of years have been, probably for, from a losing standpoint, I do think the off seasons and, and maybe the failure uh, led to more of a hunger to, to work harder, to care more entering the regular season. There's an urgency around Steph and the team that wasn't there late in the dynasty years because that type of stuff just tires you out so so he's refreshed he worked really hard in the offseason he keeps his conditioning at a level that no other player in the league I don't think does um, where he can just scatter and run around the court Uh, and then stronger up top I think that's really helped his defense and his ability to absorb contact in the lane more than even in his MVP seasons and then the league has come more towards him where now the league is fine with a guy like Steph Curry shooting 18 threes a game because they're fine with anybody shooting basically 15 to 18 threes a game. Um, so now he can just chuck them up like unlike he even did five years ago and he's going to be way more efficient than somebody else who's chucking up that many threes a game. So it just all has led to this moment where, I mean, he's there's a chance he's going to win his third. I think he's a favorite at this point to win his third MVP. And I think I saw some stat that, uh, from your first MVP to your last MVP, this would be the biggest, you know, longest distance since, like, I think Jordan and Wilt Chamberlain or something like that, like the league's greats. And that just shows the longevity of his greatness and, and what you mentioned. Like, he's still at the top of his game and, and maybe even better than he ever was. I have to admit this. The first time I saw him warming up toward the logo, toward half court, I'm going, what is he doing? He'll never take that shot in the game. You mm. know? So <laughs> I'm thinking, why is he taking that shot? But then I started watching him, and then you know, the next week, all of a sudden, he's hitting a few more of those. He's hitting a few more of those, and they started taking him in games. And now you know, there's about you know 10 guys that do that around the league and do it pretty well. 
So. Yeah, it's probably about like thirty guys that do it, and about eight that do it well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know that's the that's the league, right? Yeah, uh, and it's it's it benefited them, it, and it benefits the Warriors, and um, especially the way defenses play him. And you just, I mean, that's the big thing with him. And I mean, you know, it, you see it every night. But like what he does to defenses, um, oh, you know, they're scattering it. out forty feet. They're they're throwing you know three different bodies. He's he's not even with the ball, you know, he's, he's way away from the ball and you could see like they're figuring out how to navigate a screen. And then some other guy goes and cuts for an easy dunk while two defenders still don't even know that their guys dunked it. Cause they're so obsessed with where Steph Curry's going. And it's just, I've never seen anybody do that to defenses. Yeah. I want, I want NBA TV to put together a half hour documentary of teams trying to, to guard Steph and just watching the attention he gets, even when he doesn't have the ball, you know, like all eyes around him. It's crazy, uh, and and from our view up top, it's a it, you know it's just a unbelievable thing to watch, as you just pointed out. So, well, always uh, and, always yes, sir. I would just say he's a magnet. I mean, that's yeah. probably you know it's like he, he he flows this way, and the defense suddenly flows this way. It's it just he looks like a magnet out there. Anything you want to uh, promote? Any any uh, articles that we should be looking for in the athletic? Um, you know, just subscribe to the athletic articles are flowing pretty regularly. Um, you know, we have, like, I know Marcus is writing one soon that on this Steph Curry's about to break this three point record, uh, which, you know, does mean a ton to him. You can tell he's about to break the all time record for made threes, but, uh, different stories over the, you know, the next several months into what will likely be a playoff run. It seems. So I would just say subscribe to the athletic and you'll get a bunch of Warriors coverage. Yeah, a lot of great NBA coverage in the athletic, not just Warriors coverage, but NBA coverage and, and coverage of, of any sports. I would uh, absolutely recommend someone going into the athletic and, and you know doing a little deep dive and seeing if it's for you. I'm pretty sure you'll subscribe once you get in there. Anthony, thank you so much. Always always yep. fun. Yep, yep. Thanks for having me, Tim. So check out the athletic as we continue here celebrating 75 years of Warriors basketball and 75 years of the NBA. And for those of you who don't know, we on our pregame show, every game this year, we're celebrating 75 years, 75 stars. It doesn't necessarily have to be a player, but some person or event that's had a huge impact on the Warriors and the NBA. Well, there was a center in the We Believe era that doesn't get a lot of recognition. When you think We Believe, we think of Baron Davis, Stephen Jackson, Al Harrington. But Andres Beadrich was a big part of that squad, and we recently took a look back at his career. It's time for 75 years, 75 stars, as we celebrate 75 years of Warriors basketball in the NBA. Tonight, we look at the forgotten man of We Believe, center Andres Biedrich. The young man from Latvia was selected by the Golden State Warriors with the 11th overall pick in the 2004 NBA draft. He was only 18 years old. After two years of development, he emerged in his third season, which coincidentally was the 2006-2007 campaign, the We Believe season. He would average nine points and over nine rebounds a game as the Warriors surged at the end and the fans were chanting playoffs. Wow, that was amazing. You know, I think that the fans really, we have, the, you know, the best fans and uh, they really start to cheer us up. And that was that was amazing. I think everybody just, you know, playoffs, playoffs, whole gym. It was, it was an unbelievable feeling. 
The Warriors would go to their first playoff appearance in 13 years. They stunned the number one seed Dallas Mavericks in becoming the first number eight seed to defeat a number one seed in a best of seven playoff series. Swings over to Barrett, left wing. In deep, Andres Ferg, he's fouled! He's fouled by Nowitzki! What a pass by Barrett Davis! Beandrich with a slam, and Nowitzki fouled him from behind. Inside, two minutes to go. Beatrice would average 6.7 points and five rebounds in six games against Dallas in that first round matchup. It was, it was amazing, you know. They held us really so much, and uh, they were so excited about us. And everybody just were hustling, and the crowd was cheering us up. It was it was pretty good. A quick check of the Warriors franchise all-time career leaders list would find Andres Beatrice number one in field goal percentage, 59.4%. He was sixth in blocks and offensive rebounds and seventh in defensive rebounds for his career. In fact, Andres holds a three of the Warriors' top five single-season field goal marks, and coincidentally from 2006 through 2009. And in those three years, he was one of the best centers in the league. But in the 2009-2010 campaign, he lost his edge at the free-throw line, but was still positive with his veteran role. It's crazy. I'm an old guy. I feel like an old guy now. It's crazy. This is my fifth year. I thought about it, and it's just ridiculous how time goes fast. It's just, I still remember my first day when I came here. I was youngest in the team. I was youngest in the NBA. But now it's just already fifth season, so time is just flying. The career of Andres Beadrich would find him averaging 6.7 rebounds of one block in 516 games, 510 of those with the Golden State Warriors, and his numbers would go up just a little bit in those Golden State years. He retired after only 10 years at the age of 28. It was a career that ended too soon, but a career that was part of the reason for some magical times at Oracle and the franchise's first playoff appearance in 13 years. 75 years, 75 stars, Andres Beatrice. This has been 75 years, 75 stars. You know, in listening to that, I am struck by the fact that, that a lot of people remember Andres at the end of his career. His confidence was shot. He did not want to get fouled, did not want to go to the free throw line. It was really kind of sad. His his career ended probably about at least five years prematurely and took away from what had been a really nice run of about five years where he was one of the better centers in the association. He could get you a double-double without blinking an eye. He had good hands and could finish around the basket, could block some shots. And he was, he was really good for a long, long time. I think people kind of forget that. Hey, it's the Warriors podcast. Check us out wherever you uh, listen to your podcast because, of course, if you're listening to me now, you already know that. But tell your friends that. Wherever they check out their podcast, check for the Warriors podcast. And we'll have another guest coming up on the road as we'll be taping on the road this time with the Warriors heading back east. Hi, Tim Roy. Uh, thanks to everybody connected with the podcast. Anthony Slater of The Athletic. Thank you, James Kincaid, who is coordinating the Warriors podcast this year. R.C. Davis, who handles all things audio. And, of course, the Grand Puba Public Relations Raymond Ritter. I'm Tim Roy, and join us again for another edition of the Warriors podcast.